0: Well, this morning we're, we're continuing on in our future proof series, and uh, we're reading through the book of Revelation, and hopefully you got a chance to read those couple of chapters that we're um, relating to this morning. So we, as we've worked through Revelation, we've come to uh, chapter 12, and uh, we've been looking at different things. We've been looking at how Revelation speaks into our lives uh, right today, uh, and on different issues and different subjects, and we've looked at… we've We've been looking at future proof, but we've looked at the last word on, uh, simply because it's the last book in the Bible, and we've looked at the last word on the church, the last word on worship, on evil, on prayer, on evangelism, uh, and today we're looking at the last word on politics. So we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 12. If you have your Bible or the words will be on the screen or your your phone or whatever way uh, you're reading God's Word, we're going to read from Revelation 12 and verses 1 to 12 together. So, John is on the island of Patmos, and he gets this vision from God, uh, and, and this is where he's at in that vision. Chapter 12. Then a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail strapped a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to His throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down That ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. So the last word on politics, so I can get them, can't I? I get to preach on politics. Preaching on politics in Northern Ireland, what could possibly go wrong? So I thought since we are talking about politics and since we have an election to our assembly next year, I thought I'd just take the bull by the horns, uh, cut straight to the chase and tell you all exactly who to vote for. So, with a slightly adapted version of a wee poem from a book by Bill Nesbitt, the book is called The Only Place for Me, and the poem is called The Vote Catcher. I'm going into politics, and I'm sure I'll get your backing, because I'm the man the country needs when leadership is lacking. And when I'm made dictator, you'll all sit up and grin and so vote for me, I promise you'll be glad you put me in. I've talked with politicians who are already in the game. I've asked some folks for their advice. How come sure you'd know their name? They told me that my policies they wouldn't trust a bit when I mentioned all the things I'd planned. They nearly had a fit. I'd cut the price of yellow man to 10p for a lump. I'd slap a, I'd slap a tax on lamb drums at 20p a thump. I'll declare a public holiday. You'll like this one. I'll declare a public holiday every time it's sunny, and I'd make an eight-hour working week and double all your money. And if you didn't feel like working, you could go up to the brew. They'd treat you with civility, and you wouldn't have to queue. I'd fit out the Castlereagh Road with carpet wall to wall and give you dinner on the house every time you call. I'd give you all big motor cars and nice Armani suits and and East Belfast musicians will all get golden flutes. For widescreen televisions, you'll get 50 years to pay and and legally i let you throw your unpaid bills away. No doubt about it, I'm your man, you must agree. So when election day arrives, please vote, vote, vote for me. Because like the other politicians, I'm going to see it through. Well, if they can make false promises and I can do it too. A slightly humorous and and probably very cynical uh, approach to politics and, and perhaps to politicians. And no, I wouldn't ever dare suggest who you might vote for. But as we dig into this a little bit this morning, what might the Lord have to say to us generally about Christians and politics? Now, for starters, I know that many Christians feel that politics is just too messy or too divisive or too boring to talk about or to get engaged with. They're just not interested. And I guess then added to that, there's a couple of traps that are equal and equally dangerous that we're sort of tempted to fall into as Christians. You see, either on one extreme we can withdraw completely from political life. We can circle the wagons and save a few souls and, and gather into a holy huddle. Or, or on the other extreme, we can, we can think about party politics being the be-all and the end-all, and we spend so much time, uh, spend our, ourselves dwelling on party politics, on the temporal affairs of the world, to the complete expense of eternal matters. But given that there are so many different issues and being discussed and debated out there in these days, perhaps now it is more important than ever. Perhaps more important than ever to be thinking about an appropriate Christian engagement in the political realm. And you see, the Bible is full of inspiration for us. We we have examples in the Old Testament of people like Joseph, of Esther, of Daniel. Getting involved in the politics of the Middle East, of the ancient Middle East, and bringing that prophetic voice, helping to shape the policies and the life of the nations in which God had planted them. In the New Testament, we have the example of the Lord's Prayer, and in it we pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done here, here on earth, as it is in heaven. You see, we pray not that souls will escape somehow to heaven, but we pray that God's kingly reign would come here. And one of the ways that we do that, and one of the ways that he does that, is when his people serve him in every sphere, in every sphere of life, including in the political life of the nations. You see, as as St. John shares his vision, as recorded for us here in Revelation 12, he says in verse 10, he says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation of, and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. You see, as Christians, we are gods. And as His kingdom people, we are under the authority of His Messiah. And as we daily pray and long to see His kingdom and His authority of His Messiah extend from pole to pole, we do. Is the twentieth century Dutch theologian and Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper, as he once famously said, he said, There is not a single square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. You see, it's all his. It's all his. And we are commissioned by Him and empowered by His Spirit to be His kingdom carriers. His kingdom carriers into every walk of life, including the political life of our nation. So we have two key points that I would like us to think on this morning. And the first one is this. As we pray for the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah to be made manifest everywhere, Christians are called to engage in the political life of our world. In this scene of of, of Revelation recorded for us in in chapter 12, that we've just read, there, there are three figures. There's a woman, a dragon, and a child. The child is Jesus. One of the clues here for us is in the words, he will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. You see, these words are quoted directly from Psalm 2, which is a great messianic psalm pointing us to Jesus and his kingship over all people. And so here the child is born who will rule all the nations. And this child is caught up to God. That's a reference of Jesus' ascension following his crucifixion and resurrection. And also in this scene of his vision, John sees a woman. And the woman is beautiful, she is clothed with the sun and she is wearing a crown. The woman symbolizes Eve and Israel. Fulfilling the promise from way back in Genesis 3 that Eve's seed would crush the serpent's head. And the twelve stars in her crown represent the twelve tribes of Israel from out of whom would be born the Lord Jesus. The woman also represents Mary and the church the new Israel. Fulfilling the promise given to her in Luke chapter 1 that she would give birth to a son whose kingdom will have no end. The 12 stars representing Jesus' 12 apostles from out of whose teaching and with the coming of the Holy Spirit would be born the church. And the dragon, it tells us here in verse 9, is that ancient snake, that serpent, called the devil or Satan. He represents everything that opposes God, his son, and his people. Now, if you're organized, you may be ordering up, or perhaps you've maybe even already taken delivery of your Christmas cards. My mom has been spending this weekend writing hers. Now, that's what I call organized. And some of those cards will have those little, lovely little scenes in them lovely little nativity scenes on them. But here in Revelation chapter 12, we have, in fact, an alternative nativity scene. And it's one that you probably won't find on any of your away in a manger-esque type Christmas cards. The woman gives birth to her son, to Jesus. And the dragon t- tries to have him killed. Do you remember how King Herod doing the dragon's work Tried to have the baby Jesus killed, and in his rage he in his rage against the newborn king, he put to death all the baby boys under two years of age in Bethlehem. And here, just as the dragon is about to devour the child, the child is whisked away to safety. Remember Jesus and his mother finding refuge in the Egyptian wilderness. The scene is one of division, it's one of conflict. And just as we've already seen in the book of Revelation, it is not simply one chronologically unfolding scene. No, there are scenes from the past, from the present, from the future. And this nativity scene is clearly pointing us to the past. Jesus' nativity, Jesus' birth. But then the vision moves on. The vision moves on to a scene, to open a scene that is still being played out in the present as we speak. In the heavenlies a war breaks out. In the heavenlies a war breaks out between the dragon, Satan and his angels, and Michael and his angels. And Satan loses and he is hurled to earth where he makes war on the woman, on the church, against, verse 17 tells us, against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. And whilst he does so, Satan is furious. For he knows that his demise is imminent and his time is short. And that is where we are today. We are in that period of history between the birth, death, resurrection and ascension of Christ. Whereby he has inflicted a mortal fatal wound on Satan. And inaugurated the kingdom of our God. And the authority of his Messiah. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is coming. You see we are living between that day. That day of the inauguration of Christ's kingdom. And the day when he will return. When he will come back to wind up history. To bring his kingdom in. In all its fullness. And to bury. Or rather to cremate. The already fatally wounded. But still active and dangerous. Satan. Satan. You see, the whole book of Revelation is, in a sense, political. It is about who governs and how. It is about a struggle between two rulers, two kingdoms. But thankfully, folks, we know that unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon His shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. And so, this revelation is about politics and who governs, and is about envisioning and empowering believers in King Jesus to to live confidently and faithfully as citizens of heaven, whilst resident here as God's people on hostile planet Earth. And it's about advancing his kingdom on earth, in every place, in every way. And one of the ways that we we can do that is through our engagement in the political life of our society and our nation. In the UK, Christians have a a long tradition of political engagement, often leading the way and securing freedom and bringing, bringing about positive social change for everyone. If you look back over the last 200 years, when society has been transformed in a positive way, often Christians have been at the forefront. William Wilberforce, for example, tirelessly campaigning, leading the campaign for the abolition of slavery. Christians have, over the years, been at the forefront of campaigning and legislating for a better education, for the setting up of the National Health, Health Service, the welfare state, fair working conditions, justice, and equality for everyone. Others have been active in seeking to promote laws that have sought to protect the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, promoted the provision of international aid, and worked for the healing and reconciliation between peoples and nations. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about his people being salt and light. He is commanding Christians to show up in all walks of life, show up everywhere, and reflect the colors and flavors of God's kingdom into every area of society in which we live, and that includes the political life of our borough, our province, our nation. And there are many different ways of doing that, and different people will respond in different ways. It's not one-size-fits-all. There are different ways of responding. We can get informed and we can be praying, praying over issues, praying for our political representatives, for those in government and those in authority over us, perhaps by joining a political party, certainly in our voting, or by engaging with local elected representatives, by campaigning on certain issues, by being a prophetic voice, and yes, sometimes by being a dissenting voice. In Romans 13, Paul writes, everyone should submit themselves to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And in 1 Corinthians 2, he encourages the church to pray for monarchs and for all those in government and authority over them. But on the other hand, on the other hand, we are to be dissenters when government makes bad decisions, when it seeks to implement laws or policies that are clearly out of line with God's will and way, as revealed for us in Scripture. Or when government asks us for an allegiance that would compromise our allegiance and our loyalty to King Jesus. You see, we render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And we render unto God that which is God's. And when the two clash, when the two clash, well, we must, as Peter says in Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. And you see, folks, today, and you will know as well as I do today, we are moving increasingly into a post-Christendom world. For many years, for centuries, the values of the church and the state were very similar. But now the two are increasingly diverging. On issues such as abortion, euthanasia, marriage, and international aid, the church and the state are increasingly saying different things, and sometimes now opposite things. And so sometimes when, for instance, when the government refuses to defend the most vulnerable of all, the unborn child. We will raise the voice of dissent. We will. We will lobby Parliament and politicians. We will send letters and sign petitions. We will rally in protest as we have done up at Stormont. Calling for them to put in place laws that protect both mother and child or when the government seems to be dragging its heels on the issue of creation, care and climate change, we've been thinking of COP26. We may attend a prayer meeting or rally in the city centre as some of us did last weekend. And you know, there are some great organisations and charities out there that are working hard, campaigning to bring biblical principles to bear on our provincial and national legislation-making processes. Let me name a few. For instance, you have CARE, campaigning to bring a uniquely Christian voice, insights into the policies and laws that affect our lives. Or organizations like Christian, the Christian Institute, which campaigns on maintaining the sanctity of marriage. Or Both Lives Matter, campaigning for the protection of unborn children and their mothers. TEAR Fund, campaigning for international aid for the poorest of the poor. Christian Aid, campaigning on climate change and creation care. There are many other organizations doing similar sterling work and well worthy of our prayers and of our support. And please let me guide you or direct you to their websites to find out a little bit more about them, perhaps to get involved or pick up their prayer letter. And also particularly, particularly on this Remembrance Sunday, we are reminded that democracy and political freedom are privileges that we cannot take for granted we are well aware that not everyone in the world has the luxury of living in a democracy or in freedom as we do many people in our world live in authoritarian authoritarian dictatorships millions of people in the world in many many countries They have the will of a small majority or a dictator imposed upon them. The majority have no vote and no say in how their country is run. And they would love to have the freedom to engage politically. The freedom that we are blessed in the West to have. We live in a democratic country. And many people fought long and hard to bring democracy to these islands. And many people fought long and hard to defend that democracy against attack from the Nazis, the communists, the terrorists over the years. In two world wars and in subsequent conflicts. And we will remember them. We have remembered them this morning. We have remembered the great sacrifice that they have made for us. And we will want to show our ongoing gratitude to them. We will in fact continue to remember them by participating in the democratic system, by being involved in the political life of our nation. So as we pray and work for the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah to be made manifest everywhere Christians are called to engage in the political life of our world. And the second verse from the section of Revelation that we're looking at today, that is of particular relevance to us here this morning. Revelation 14, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep His commands and remain faithful to Jesus. This is our other point for this morning. More briefly than the first. Just as important, but more briefly. As we engage politically, seeking to keep His commands and remain faithful to Him, We do it always under and only for the glory of King Jesus. We are to seek first the kingdom of God. Whatever else we're doing must come under that command. We belong to an everlasting kingdom. So we let that influence how much time we spend in our politics and how we vote in this temporary political entity of which we are currently part You see, we belong to a truly transnational and eternal kingdom. We let that wonderful truth shape how we participate in the temporal political life of the nation in which we currently live. As Christians, we are to look at our politics through a biblical lens and not the other way around. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we let our faith shape our politics and not our politics shape our faith. You see, there are so many idols out there which vie for our allegiance and our worship when we are called to follow and worship Christ alone. There are many competing isms which threaten to take the place of King Jesus. Capitalism and socialism, conservatism and liberalism, fascism and communism, unionism and nationalism, republicanism and loyalism, ism, 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 isms must not become idols. Jesus is Lord. You see, there is a danger of isms becoming idols. There is also the danger of politicizing the gospel, of over-identifying the gospel with one particular political point of view or party. In various parts of the world, yes, including our own, some people have tried to push a package, a package of religion and politics and identity combined. And this has done untold damage to the cause of the gospel. How many people from an alternative political background have been unable to accept the gospel because they thought that they would also have to accept a certain set of politics with it? How many people have felt unable to accept Christ because they thought that they would also mean accepting a certain political identity? You see, in John's vision in heaven, and I love this, John's vision, heaven is described In Revelation, we see people there from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. And with such a global and diverse multitude there, could they all possibly have subscribed to the same political outlook? No, of course not. Of course not. It's simply not possible. And if there are people in heaven from every nation, tribe, people, and language, then it's reasonable to assume that there are people there subscribing to a wide range of political outlooks. And if we want to reflect heaven, if we want to reflect heaven, then we will want to have in our denomination and in our congregation people with a wide range of political outlooks. I want to belong to a denomination and a congregation like that. I want to belong to a denomination and a congregation that is a reflection of heaven. Don't we all? So just as I finish, as we pray for the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah to be made manifest everywhere, Christians are called to engage in the political life of our world. And as we engage politically, seeking to keep His commands and remain faithful to Him, we do it always only under and for the glory of King Jesus. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that our citizenship is in heaven that we are part of a wonderful worldwide kingdom that stretches back through history and right across every nation, across heaven and earth. And we praise you that we follow and serve one whose kingdom is coming and shall have no end. As we pray for the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah to be made manifest everywhere, help us to engage in the political life of our world as you would lead us. Please show each of us, individually and collectively, how we can best do that. Whether that be through prayer, lobbying, campaigning, engaging with local political representatives, activism, or indeed, dissent. And Father, as we engage politically, seeking to keep His commandments and remain faithful to Him, help us to do it always, only under and for the glory of King Jesus. And we join together to say that prayer that Jesus taught His disciples praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, putting our trust in him as we say together the Lord's Prayer. Let us say together the Lord's Prayer. Our our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.